Hope you've got comfy shoes on, it's a long one. <laughs> so, today's, today's reading is Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 11, verse 26. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to the Lord and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. He was praying in a certain place, and after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Others, to test him, kept demanding for, from him a sign from heaven. But he knew what they were thinking and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself becomes a desert, and house falls on house. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your exorcists cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges." But if, it, if, but if it is the finger of God that I cast out demons, then, you, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his castle, his property is safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it wanders through waterless regions looking for a resting place. But not finding any, it says, 
I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other more spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and live there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know which one's harder, doing a marathon reading like Kate did, or when uh, you get all the, the names, the genealogy. But thank you, Kate. Heavenly Father, thank you for being exactly who you are. I would pray send more of your Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure our frames are strong enough for that. <laughs> Speak to us now. This is quite a passage. Next week, we have our uh, all-age service. So Holly and Andy, they're kind of going to lead our worship next week. So... Um, our reading was extra long today, so hopefully we're going to get into to these lessons in hospitality, kind of uh, the prayer workshop that Jesus leads, and even um, an insight into spiritual battles and a bit of mistaken identities, so kind of see what we can get to. But as far as, if you want a title, quite simply you can say, the one who is better, the one who is better, and uh, reading passages like this, uh, I can't help but read it. I've got two daughters. Um, they're about to be one and four. My oldest is called Mary. And uh, I read passages like this, and I was like, it would have been great if, uh, if I'd have actively named my daughter Mary because of things like this. Like, when she was born, uh, some of the midwives, they were like, oh, Mary. Like, we, we haven't heard of someone being called Mary for decades. They were surprised. It was like Mary, and then the next cubicle was Henry, and they were, that was like the big surprise. Um, and then you get some people that find out they're like, "Oh, Paddy, like you're you're a vicar, or like you're a priest." They kind of roll their eyes at the fact that I named my daughter Mary. Or like some of my colleagues who are probably more on like the Catholic end of the tradition, they're just like, "What a wonderful name to name your daughter after a lady." And I don't quite have the heart to tell him. I was like, it's just because it was the first name that Sarah and I agreed on. <laughs> but you look around, there's all sorts of just like strong biblical names. Like there's little Josiah running around. There's like multiple Caleb's. All these kids named after prophets. Uh, other nine with a family's daughter is Hepzibah. Like got these incredible names. But you can't help but wonder, there's, there's certain names that are seemingly... Like, biblical names are off-limits. Like, how often do you get, like, Cain or Saul or Absalom? No one, like, we don't do dedications. It's like, oh, what have you named this beautiful little girl? Jezebel. Do you? Like, you don't. But you even, like, because of this, this, this account, you kind of wonder, like, is Martha, is that, like, in or out? I'm really sorry if there's a Martha here. I'm going to redeem it, trust me. Because sometimes this, this passage is preached and, and it kind of establishes a priority for, for a contemplative life in which you're just so engrossed with Jesus at the expense of any activity at all. It kind of justifies all, all laziness, all selfishness. And it says, no, I'm just being a Martha. I'm just one thing. I've chosen one thing that's better. And it justifies it. 
But I think really at the core of it, this is yet another example of where the evangelist Luke is reminding us of the importance of hospitality. And Martha is, by all accounts, uh, this generous host. She is fulfilling her duty. And then maybe contrasted, you get, you get Mary, her sister. So rather than kind of living up to all the, the expectation of duty, she throws it off. And you might consider she's actually started her discipleship journey as a disciple of Jesus. Whether or not there was an invitation there or not, she has taken Jesus up on it. She has... All of her actions express this submission to Jesus. She comes and, and she sits at his feet, which has all sorts of like connotations in Hebrew thought. She comes and, and stops all the business, all the things she could be doing, and she listens to, to Jesus' words. So you might consider last week we, we were going through the story of the Good Samaritan, or at least the account with the lawyer, and he tells a parable of the Good Samaritan. And it would have been shocking to the listeners of the time because they would have thought, gosh, this, who we consider to be our enemy, has now done what all these religious leaders couldn't. And like the hero of the story isn't the priest or the Levite, it's the, the Samaritan. And here that, that shock continues because it's, it's a woman who is affirmed for her choice in following and, and being a disciple of Jesus. And it's yet another occasion which we realize this isn't just for the men, but Jesus opens up to everyone. If, if there was an occasion when Jesus wanted to like establish there is such thing as gender piety and women need to know their place, this would have been the occasion which Jesus would have berated Mary, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus commends Mary. And later we'll see just all these women throughout the New Testament just living out their role as disciples and apostles. I also couldn't help but be reminded, thinking about our precious time we've just had, Mary also puts herself in quite a dangerous position. To be at the feet of Jesus, to be, to be attentive to his words, be de desiring to be in his presence, that is not a safe place, is it? That's where Jesus does his, his deep work. That's where Jesus calls us into change. Sometimes he unearths things that we aren't really willing to let see the light of day. Being at the feet of Jesus, she has chosen what is better, but it's definitely not safe, is it? So, so Martha. I was going to say, I'd like to focus on Martha. She is distracted. She's fulfilling her duties, but she is distracted with her many tasks. Can't but wonder, like, maybe she is anxious. I'm definitely going like, to put my own reading onto it and say she's definitely frustrated. She's not transformed by the Messiah who is in her very presence. She's not being impacted by the words of the chosen one, the servant sent by God, prophesied over centuries beforehand. Instead, you might say, actually, she's distracted, anxious, frustrated, annoyed. She might have used stronger language because really she's spending her time looking at Mary She's torn away from the gift that's in front of her by comparison. Because again, it's another occasion in which we have to remember that our duties, our jobs, our activity, they aren't inherently bad, but you have to question whether they detract us from our spiritual growth, whether they, they take us away from actually focusing on what's important and being able to, to worship 
Jesus. I've always lived by this phrase that, that rest is not the absence of activity, but rather the presence of peace. Rest isn't the absence of activity, it's the presence of peace. In all things, we have the, the option, I'm not saying it's easy to welcome Jesus into all our activity. Now, when it's 6.45 and the children have not complied at throughout the day, dinner time or bath time, and they're still not anywhere close to being asleep, when I say, oh, yeah, it's easy, just like, it's the presence of peace. I speak from experience, and this is much easier to preach it than it is to live it the other six and a half days a week. But as hard as it is, that's the invitation we have. And really, Martha is one that we can learn from. We can learn vicariously through her. Because you see, she, she does approach Jesus. She approaches him reverently. She even addresses him as Lord. But what you see is her appeal isn't centered on her, her role as a, a host, isn't centered on her guests, let alone Jesus, one part of God himself. Rather, her, her appeal is always centered on herself, She's distracted by all the preparations she'd made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And that's what we find. She's focused on her health. She, she doesn't come to Jesus to be, to be transformed or to worship at the feet of the Savior of the world. Rather, she comes to get his assistance with her plans. She doesn't come to meet with Jesus. And what you see is... The Bible isn't always just like instructions or wisdom, but it's also a revelation of who God is. And I think I can't help but get away from the compassion of God revealed in the person of Jesus the last couple of weeks. He comes to her, and what if, what if it's not him telling her off? What if I, I imagine it in, in my mind of him kind of stopping her? Maybe he has to grab her by the shoulders. Maybe he's really forceful. He like with his gentleness, he grabs her by the cheeks. He reminds her that he's talking to her. He's Martha, Martha. He gets her attention. It's the compassion of Jesus coming out. You can't help but think of someone who feels as though they have been deserted, who has been let down by people who are supposed to be helping them. Who would empathize with Martha more than Jesus? That's the compassion of God coming through. And what you see is, I would suggest Jesus doesn't come to her and berate her for all her mistakes and what if we think of, rather than it being like, let's all try and be Marys and like not be Marthas, what if actually we're a lot more like Martha than we think, because Jesus doesn't come and berate her. Martha is an example of, of missing the mark, but what if actually Martha is an example of one who has experienced the very nature of God in all of his kindness? When Paul would write to, to the Romans, he would he would say, you know what? It is the kindness of God that is intended to lead you to repentance. That's the intention of it. Martha's eyes were on many things. She was worried. She was distracted. She was probably comparing herself to her sister and jealous. Something we all experience all too frequently. And the comparison is, yeah, Mary's eyes were fixed on Jesus. Martha's eyes were fixed on everything else which wasn't going to bear the weight of all her hopes and expectations and dreams. Jesus is reminding her that he's the only one that can actually fix it. 
And he uses that phrase, just Mary has chosen what is better. Mary is the one concerned with, with the guest, the one in whom they're actually welcoming to their home. Not just the mere act of welcoming someone, but rather the actual person. Mary's the one who sat at his feet, listening to his words, realizing that they are the words of life, not just something to tickle her intellect. So really, Mary has chosen not just what is better, but really who is better, isn't it? Our faith isn't centered merely around like morals or just empty like spiritual, there's a God somewhere. It's revealed in the person of Jesus. Mary has chosen who is better. Because in Jesus, we find the very resolution of all the, the injustices in the world whether it being small domestic injustices or like global injustices that leave us feeling utterly helpless. Jesus is the resolution to all the injustices, the resolution to all our, our restlessness, the very source of peace and hope and also purpose. So I remind us that Mary is an example of the one who, who encounters the, the nature of God, his compassion, his kindness, but also his invitation to something better, invitation to change, as difficult as it is. We can get up here and gather around great ideas. There's probably much smarter people than I, but the answer is always going to be the same. The answer is always going to be found in Jesus, isn't it? Can I tell you a quick story? This is, is self-deprecating, so it's okay. <laughs> I, I love to run. People think I'm crazy or a bit of a masochist. And um, this story, more so than any of that, kind of just re reveals my foolishness. So a couple years ago, it was uh, before I had a dog to kind of guide me in wise ways, I went out for a run on the South Downs. And normally, it was a solitary endeavor. Uh, seemingly still is. This morning the dog got lost in the dark, so that was a solitary occasion. <laughs> and I went up running, and suddenly I had this like, charged excitement because I realized I wasn't running alone. And there was like, all these people like, coming over the hills and like, around, and I was like, oh, great. And so I like, got out of the car, and, and I was like, I'll just start running with them, having no idea what they were doing. What soon unfolded was a reality that like, they were all part of this, the, the South Downsware relay race. They're running from Eastbourne to... Uh, Winchester <laughs> in teams of a dozen and they're only running for about half an hour each and there came a certain point when like just the excitement I was like I wasn't really paying attention or anything I was just having a good time and they kept like passing the baton on to someone else and then I suddenly realized that like this isn't a circular route and I've now got to turn around <laughs> And um, I'm not too proud to say I didn't run home gracefully with, like, what's the verse in Habakkuk about, like, being able to be, like, hinds feet in high places. Like, that was not me. I experienced the full weight of my body. It's just this, isn't it? I say that jovial story just reminds us that we're not meant to run together. And Jesus is he's constantly pointing us we're not meant to run together. We're not meant to run together. I had it wrong. Those guys had it right. Running together, running in a team. 
Because Luke, he, he constantly illuminates how Jesus is re-narrating a better way to be human. And maybe in many ways, you know, this is contrasted against Martha's agitation or her anxiety or her restlessness. He's constantly revealing a better way, and it's not by yourself. It's not in your own strength. And so when we see the, the disciples and their humility, they see Jesus, they see Jesus, they can also see just the centrality of, of prayer in the life of Jesus. It'll soon come to, to encompass the life of the church as well through Luke's writing in Acts. They see it and their humility, their desire for imitation is just, Lord, teach us, teach us how to pray. And what we find as Jesus reveals to them, provides them with an answer of how to pray, he, there's this invitation to approach God as the Father, which in turn is also an invitation that we may see ourselves as his children. It's a direct correlation. If, you, if you're saying God is father, that means I'm a child. Because true life, the, particularly the, the recent chapters, Jesus keeps referencing it. True life, eternal life, the abundance of life, everything we're, we're searching for is rooted in knowing God as father. And this came, this was as jarring a concept then as it was today, where all the connotations of father usually weren't positive. All the connotations of control or authority or power of, of domineering, all the pain we may experience with it, Jesus is coming to redeem it and speak something different, speak of a, of a father who is caring and loving, whose actions are redemptive towards you. But rather than spending the next three hours kind of unpacking all the elements of what we now call the Lord's prayers, I want to just suggest this as we kind of dive into it ourselves, maybe this week. Is Jesus' concern, his concern in teaching about prayer isn't to reveal the mechanics, the how-to of prayer, Rather, his concern is shaping prayer so that we may recognize who our prayer is directed to. It's always about the person of. It's not how, but who. Does that make sense? And he, he continues to expand on this. Seemingly, his prayer workshop doesn't stop just there. And again, he tells a story. And he poses this unfathomable, hypothetical question that is, I have to admit, somewhat shrouded in context. So he essentially says, you know what, can you imagine a friend who would refuse to help you in providing hospitality when someone unexpectedly showed up at your house? And the context of it was, in this time, to these people in the ancient Near East, they had an obligation to hospitality. If someone showed up unexpected, without warning, they didn't text 20 minutes before to say they're on the way, let alone giving you two weeks' notice, if they just showed up unexpectedly at your door, essentially all of like the law expressed in the Old Testament said, you know what, as, a, as an expression of your covenant loyalty, you are to, to open your home to them and show them hospitality. But also think of it, like I live in a cul-de-sac and there's at least 23 houses. That responsibility wasn't on me alone. If they show up at my house, actually it's the responsibility of my neighbors to help me provide such hospitality. Does that make sense? abstractly, because that's a completely foreign idea, isn't it? There was no such thing of like, it's sort of a bad time. Can you like try someone else? 
or even as Jesus puts it in the story, if you like, the door's already locked, my kids are asleep. Like, those aren't excuses that would have been valid. It's all rooted in this notion that actually you are to provide hospitality to the stranger because at some point you too will be the stranger. So of course they would. Of course they would open their door. Of course they would say, yeah, like, I, don't, I maybe only have two breads here, but I'll help you find the rest. They would take on that responsibility and the, the, work, the purpose that Jesus is, is telling this story is because he reveals the, that God, the Father, is this faithful neighbor. God, the Father, is the one who, who rises even what we might think is inconvenient or is insignificant. He still rises to meet our needs and meet the needs of those who come into our life. Does that make sense? Jesus, he's, he's constantly pointing us back to, guys, remember who it is that you're praying to. And in this, Jesus, he informs their posture and prayer. And again, I was joking about this at the nine. This is probably one of the few occasions when reading from the NRSV has somewhat let us down. Because it just says, like, uh, because of his persistence. And I was listening to someone far smarter and who understands all the different languages break down why it is quite like a complex word, doesn't come about often. I think it's like the only time in the New Testament this word comes up. But it's more than just persistence. It's about our eyes not being downcast. It's about how the NIV renders it a shameless audacity. It's about having a, a holy boldness, this divinely inspired and like strength from above to give us persistence and keep seeking it. It's the very reason why Jesus would say, God, you need to like ask, seek, knock. Go to all these lengths. Why? It's because we know who the door we're knocking on. We know whose the door is that we're knocking on. We know who it is who, who has the bread. We know who it is who isn't inconvenienced, who looks on us compassionately. Amongst a few other things, St. Augustine would say a few years ago, Jesus would not exhort us to ask if he were not willing to give. So let the slothfulness of man be put to shame because he is more willing to give than we are to receive. That's something we constantly need to be reminded of. Gosh, I think I am zealous for prayer. But in many ways, God is still like twiddling his thumbs, waiting for more. He is far more willing to give than we are to receive. I say this, but he's constantly inviting us into it, to something corporate, something shared. Again, rooting it in a, a running-related story. There was, anyone ever heard of a lady called Shalane Flanagan? No? It's great. She's like a famous sports person, like Cristiano Ronaldo, but slightly different. She was an American marathon runner, um, kind of retired now, and uh, she was famous for being highly successful, also famous for living this like monk life by herself. She like, lived in some mountain town, trained by herself, uh, and it was like pretty successful, carved out quite a career. But there came a certain time in her career which she said, you know what, I've had enough of doing this by myself. I'm just going to invite a load of other women to come train with me. And by all accounts, the story goes that they didn't even like do all their training together. They might like meet up in the morning, have a good chit-chat, stretch, and then like go off and do their runs and then come back for bagels and granola. 
And what they observed, they like labeled this the Shalane effect. It's like all these women who were at different stages of their career, once they decided to actually train together, not in isolation, they had by far the greatest seasons of all their careers. Like Shalane Flanagan would go on and win the Chicago Marathon. They'd all set PBs. They all like look back on that occasion as like the heyday of their career. And it's because we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to run together. Like I grew up in a house, and this isn't to like throw shade on, on my family, but where like competence was this virtue that was held quite highly. And competence is, by all accounts, a good thing. But you have to moderate it, because it will only get us so far. Because we have this constant reminder, like we must throw off all our pride and shame and look towards the one who is better. Even when you look through the way in which, I just said it's not about the mechanics of how to, but now I'm going to look at how Jesus taught us to pray. All the language is us and we, isn't it? It's not give me. Let's give us. Last week, at the, the tail end of this story, between Jesus and the lawyer, he says, go and do likewise. He's kind of revealed to him what it looks like to love your neighbor. He says, go and do likewise. We're invited into imitating God, to be like him, to, to continue to spread his mercy, isn't it? Loving our neighbor is taking on the burdens of others as if they were our own needs. Loving our neighbor is boldly bringing others to the one who can meet their needs. Both in, in prayer and our actions in practice, we need to remember whose door we are knocking on. Whose door is even there to be knocked on? It's the Father, and he reveals himself through the person of Jesus as one who is compassionate and kind, full of mercy. But also, like, there's things that we seemingly think are opposed to one another. He's also one who is powerful and mighty, upholds justice. One of the key components of, again, what we count as the, as the Lord's Prayer is, may your kingdom come. It kind of sets before us the, the boundaries of our own agency. We need Jesus. Things aren't going to go well if it's just on us. We need Jesus. So again, we've... We've got this gift to, to enter into this season of prayer and fasting, to seek God, to go and knock on the door, to seek him. And may we constantly remember who it is that we're encountering, who it is that our prayer is directed towards. Again, we, we talk amongst the team and we see all these monumental things happen when the church fasts and prays. Namely, we've seen people kind of open their hearts to Jesus in new ways. Because it's here where we get to, to bring the needs of those around us to the one who can actually meet them in Jesus. So let us take hold of that shameless audacity, that holy boldness. When we ask for God's spirit to come and fill us, it's filling us with courage encouraging us that we may actually be shameless.
that we may have this boldness, this audacity to go to him in all things. Thanks so much, Paddy. Let's stand together. What I'd love to give you is a three-hour spa session now just to take the 28 different pearls of wisdom Paddy just dropped and apply them. Uh, uh, Thank you, Paddy, so much there. Um, you told us to run together and you told us to run alone. So I think you meant run together. And, and I think um, uh, this week's a KFC week. So can I just encourage us all, let's be present. Let's give of ourselves. Let's season our conversation not with goal for the Rugby World Cup, but with what God is doing. And let's share and connect and share that fellowship of the Spirit and press in together. Um, and uh, and do this as we sit at the Lord's feet as a community. Um, I think we're going to close up there. Can I just let you know a little testimony, just as you go, just to encourage your heart about what God is doing? Do you remember I was telling you last Sunday about the beautiful lady, right at the end of her life, um, just came to know Jesus. I saw her on the Wednesday, this is 10 days ago. She was, she was basically meant to die on the Thursday anyway last Sunday when I told you I hadn't heard the Wednesday just gone I got an email from her son saying um, mum's doing much better (laughs) Um, she's shown a marked improvement we're awaiting further updates uh, on what happens next but we're hoping she might be okay to come home soon so isn't that great (laughs) So what was hilarious is um, once, once she'd become a sister in Christ, um, I said, do you want me to pray for healing? She said, actually, I've had such a hard life. I'm ready to go. So no, thank you. <laughs> so I don't know. You, know. you know how we teach everyone. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he won't override someone's free will. Well, he seems to be overriding her free will. And she's just getting better and better and better. So... That's cool, isn't it? Um, so can I just say, as we go from here, let's just be encouraged that he knows better than we do. <laughs> His story is better.